Okay. Hey, guys. So with uh, Thomas and I both staying with our own families during this holiday break, our original plan was to take a break with recording these few weeks. But you see, to keep our promise of recording one episode a week, or you know, at least stay as close to that commitment as possible, I am back this week to discuss a book that I've been speaking nonstop about and probably will continue to you know, never shut up about for the rest of my life. Um, and it's Dale Carnegie's How to Stop Worrying and Start Living. Um, I mentioned this book in our mental health episode as one of the two sources of strength that allowed me to get back on my feet during my toughest times. Um, the subtitle of this book reads Time-Tested Methods for Conquering Worry. And I'd like to emphasize the part of time-tested methods, since it is truly clear from reading this book that the items mentioned are actionable, repeatable, and most importantly, relatable. Um, I am by all means a spiritual person, but by no means someone that ascribes to one specific organized religion. Um, And although toward the end of this book, Dale Carnegie brings up religion as one way of coping with worries and bettering your life, the author does not preach it as the only way or even the most significant slash, you know, best way to solve your problems. Um, Instead, it is almost a guidebook containing a few core principles that will show you the way when you're lost. Um, The tone of the book is firm, straightforward, and almost prescriptive. But the stories of the examples of real people in the text are so relatable that you really will not be put off or be annoyed at the delivery of it, since it really cannot be clear that these methods are truly time-tested. So for the lack of better expression, and also, you know, not to make this sound religious, you know, um, or anything like that. The core principles in this book have truly become, you know, my commandments. So I hope this episode is helpful, inspiring, and convincing enough for you to pick up this book at some point afterward. I hope everybody is having a great holiday break with friends, family, and loved ones. Thank you for listening. Okay, so let's first discuss briefly who Dale Carnegie was. Dale Carnegie was an American writer and lecturer that focused on self-improvement, salesmanship, corporate training, public speaking, interpersonal skills, you know, and whatever, according to Google. Now, what Google won't tell you, however, is that the author, born in the late 1800s and living through the first half of the 20th century, uh, the man who is often better known as a writer of how to win friends and influence people, was himself once somebody who truly would have needed and benefited from this book. Um, The first sentence of the book reads, I was one of the unhappiest lads in New York selling motor trucks for a living that despised my job. I come home to my lonely room each night with a sick headache, a headache bred and fed by disappointment, worry, bitterness, and rebellion. I was rebelling because the dreams I nourished back in my college days had turned into nightmares. Um, I've openly talked about my struggles with career and reservations and, you know, doubts with my choice of path since graduating college in my previous episodes with Thomas. Uh, But even my personal experience put aside, I think it's fair to assume that with the few exception of those who are lucky to sort of, you know, find their 
uh, calling early on in life. You know, most people go through moments like mine in their 20s, 30s, and, you know, um, some people even struggle, you know, in their 40s. It's not unheard of that people, even after uh, a decade or two of working in one industry, make drastic choices that sort of, you know, uproot the familiar life they have lived until that point. Um, And Dale Carnegie was no different, right? Since he, and I directly quote here, since he knew he had everything to gain and nothing to lose by giving up the job he despised, he made his decision, which completely altered his future, which made the rest of his life happy and rewarding beyond his most utopian aspirations, end quote. He gave up the work he loathed and decided to make his life teaching adult classes in night schools, uh, teaching public speaking and so forth. But the positive changes didn't come to him overnight. After getting rejected by both Columbia and New York University, he ended up teaching at YMCA night schools, where he had to show concrete results fast in order to keep his job. The blessing in disguise was that the folks at YMCA showed up to his class with a burning desire to actually change. Unlike just college students, they were people who are already busy with their day jobs, coming in with the hope to actually get some wisdom out of the classes to, you know, change their dull, unforgivingly difficult lives. With the right incentives aligned perfectly and motivation stronger than before, in both parties, Dale soon after writes the massively successful bestseller of how to win friends and influence people to put together the greatest wisdoms that would help his students. And then writes this book, How to Stop Worrying and Start Living, based on the accounts he heard from his students and their friends and their relatives and their acquaintances and and so forth. Now, that's enough preamble. Uh, Let's get into the content. Now, in my mental health episode, I introduced one of the key concepts of this book to start off uh, with, uh, which is the concept of occupational therapy. Uh, or you can call it keeping yourself busy to turn your brain off from worries. Uh, You know, it's sort of a duh concept, right? I know, but sometimes the most hackneyed sayings and the simplest truths are the closest to the right answer. Uh, Simplest, however, does not equate to easiest. The first chapter of this book writes, live in day-tight compartments. On the last page of the chapter, Dale writes that you have to truly internalize that life at the end of the day is not the past or even the future, but truly uh, resides in the present. Yes, it is important to plan for the future, and yes, forecasts or some sort of anticipation can't be helpful, right? However, for your own mental good and steady state of contentment, What good is spending every single moment of your day trying to optimize for tomorrow, next week, next month, and next year, when you know you're going to do that again when tomorrow becomes today? Here are some of the questions that uh, Dale Carnegie throws at us. First question is, do I tend to put off living in the present in order to worry about the future or to yearn for some magical rose garden over the horizon? Do I sometimes embitter the present by regretting things that happened in the past that are over and done with? Do I get up in the morning determined to quote-unquote seize the day to get the utmost out of these 24 hours? And the last question is, can I get more out of life by living in day-tight compartments? That's chapter one. In chapter two, 
Dale Carnegie is once again pretty straightforward, uh, this time a little more prescriptive. Titled A Magic Formula for Solving Worry Situations, he writes about a man named Willis H. Carrier, the engineer who launched the air conditioning industry. In this New York man's anecdote of overcoming worries from a failure of an important research experiment, Dale finds an important lesson that resurfaces in the words of Lin Yutang, a renowned Chinese philosopher. He writes, true peace of mind comes from accepting the worst. As psychologically, it means a release of energy. Now, um, I fully admit that I'm also guilty of often overinflating the scale of the worst hypotheticals in my head. And these worries will then sort of leave me incapable of doing anything without actually accepting the true version of the, I guess, quote unquote, the worst. So ask yourself, what is the worst that can possibly happen? Prepare to accept it if you have to, and then improve on the worst. Uh, let me take a pause from sharing the wisdom of Dale Carnegie for a second and share a uh, story that's a bit personal. Um, <laughs> listeners may know at this point from my previous episodes that as a South Korean citizen, I served in the Korean army for two years. Now, I'm not aware if it is still the case in the Korean army or even, you know, I guess any armies uh, with the U.S. Army included, uh, for that matter. But when I served, the culture of smoking cigarette was extremely prevalent and even encouraged among people. It was an acceptable social break to catch a smoke with fellow soldiers. And um, when it comes to talking with superiors or officers, especially open and honest conversations with them, you know, those only took place over the, the toxic fumes that often left stenches in our uniforms for days. Now, even though I started service with such strong distaste toward that culture, I soon gave in and found myself reluctantly participating in it. One stub, two stubs on my desk. And toward the end of my service, I found myself going through half a pack a day. Um, Although I quit a few years after my discharge, I felt extremely guilty and extremely worried about the lasting impact of my decision in the army on my body. So in 2021 and 2022, while I was going through other struggles in my life, I started feeling an, a, a really strong, acute pain in my chest for you know reasons unknown. And without any research or seeking medical guidance, I started panicking, right? Thinking back to my choices in the army. And although anyone could have known from a quick Google search that two years of smoking and four years of break uh, at a relatively early, early stage of your life should statistically speaking give me uh, you know, confidence that I won't have any serious complications. I just could not sleep for weeks. And um, since my trip to Korea to, uh, to see my family was coming up, I called my parents and asked them if they could schedule a medical checkup since my pain was growing stronger every day. And literally every day it got worse. And over the phone, my mom told me that it was probably nothing and just, you know, I, I'm being a little too worrisome. I, I said that it's not, if it's not lung cancer, then I have no idea what could be possibly giving me so much inexplicable pain. Now, after my radiology scan and until the minute before walking into the doctor's room to hear the final verdict, that, that time period in between was the worst time of my life. 
body was shaking, palms were sweaty. I started calling out for, you know, I started asking to all deities that I, <laughs> that I knew. I prayed to all different gods I, and, and told them I'll never, ever go even close to any substances in the future. You know, not even a can of beer will be in my life ever again. Uh, and I still remember vividly after walking into that office, the doctor just so nonchalantly said, you know, you're in your late 20s. We normally don't even do CT scans for people in their 20s, but your mom begged me to find a spot for you. Here are your results. If your pain continues, I'm afraid my medical knowledge will no longer be of help to find out the reason for you. And the moment I read the report, a wave of relief flowed through my veins and every single part of my body. That inexplicable pain of needles piercing through my chest never re-entered my life. Now, the reason I bring my uh, bring this personal story of mine up is the th is because the third chapter of this book, quote unquote, "What Worry May Do to You," is full of true anecdotes of people reporting very, very real conditions, pains, migraine, uh, stomach ulcers, heart disturbances, insomnia, and even other types of paralysis that are inexplicable in their causes. Quoting Dr. Joseph uh, F. Montague, author of the book Nervous Stomach Trouble, Dale Carnegie writes, you do not get stomach ulcers from what you eat, you get ulcers from what is eating you. Now, I, I know how this sounds, right? I, I'm in, I'm, let me reemphasize, I'm not, that this is not an attempt to discount the, or dismiss the true pains that people experience that often stem from actual physical ailments that, you know, truly needs treatments and need medical help. If anything, uh, what I'm trying to do and say here is that both mine and Dale Carnegie's attempt to point to the real dangers and the negative impact, the scale of it, that worrying has on your body, right? Uh, Dr. Harold C. Habit of the Mayo Clinic read a paper at the American Association of Industrial Physicians and Surgeons saying that he had made a study of 176 business executives whose average age was 44.3 years. Now, he reported that slightly more than a third of these executives suffered from one of three ailments peculiar to high-tension living, heart disease, digestive tract ulcers, and high blood pressure. Again, not saying that all diseases stem from worry, but I am saying that all worries will inevitably impact your health very negatively. So uh, let me recap the three rules of part one, and I'm directly quoting Dale Carnegie here. Rule number one, if you want to avoid worry, live in daytight compartments. Don't stew about the future, just live each day until bedtime. Rule two, the next time trouble backs you up in a corner, do the following three things. One, ask yourself, what is the worst that can possibly happen if I can't solve my problem? Two, prepare yourself mentally to accept the worst, if necessary. Three, then calmly try to improve upon the worst, which you have already mentally agreed to accept. Rule number three, remind yourself of the exorbitant price you can pay for worry in terms of your health. Those who do not know how to fight worry, die young. Okay, so that was part one of this episode. Uh, thank you for listening, and I'll be back in the next episode with a deep dive on the rest of the book.
Part four, seven ways to cultivate a mental attitude that will bring you peace and happiness. And part six, how to keep from worrying about criticism. Um, I'd like to emphasize that I have no, you know, financial incentives to promote this book. You know, it helped me personally tremendously to not only get through my toughest times, but also transform the way I view and live my life in a positive way. So in case you need it, I really just hope that this book does the same to you. Um, you can buy this book on Amazon for less than $10, but you'll absolutely get more value out of it than what the price suggests. So please like, follow, and share if you've enjoyed listening to this episode, and talk to you soon.